0: This is Sunrise, the who, what, when, where, why, and WTF of Florida politics. I'm Rick Flagg reporting from Tallahassee, once described by Ralph Waldo Emerson as a grotesque place of land speculators and desperados. Five years after voters approved the Florida Water and Land Legacy Amendment, conservation groups say it's time for the legislature to actually obey that amendment and spend more to preserve environmentally sensitive lands. It's election day in St. Petersburg, where the nonpartisan race for the city council has been about as partisan as it gets. She's leading in the polls, but State Senator Lisbeth Benequisto of Fort Myers says she will not be running for the congressional seat being given up by U. S. Representative Francis Rooney. Florida Politics is adding a veteran reporter to our Tallahassee team. A.G. Gankarski joins us in the studio to talk about the upcoming legislative session. We'll also have your political calendar of events and check out a couple of Florida Man stories involving a chihuahua and more than a thousand pythons. And now, the top stories on Sunrise for Tuesday, November 5th. It's been five years since voters approved the Florida Water and Land Legacy Ballot Initiative. The idea back then was to set aside one-third of the money collected from documentary stamp taxes on real estate transactions and use the cash to purchase conservation land. But state lawmakers have managed to thwart the intent of that amendment by spending the money, well, let's just say elsewhere. And Tracy Dean with Conservation Florida says that needs to stop.
1: Protecting Florida's natural and agricultural landscapes has never been more important than it is today as we face a growing population, an extraordinary rate of habitat loss and fragmentation, and reduced funding for historically successful conservation initiatives. Florida is the third most populous state in the nation, growing by nearly 1,000 Floridians per day. We're projected to exceed 30 million Floridians by 2060. How we manage our growth and what we conserve over the next 10 to 15 years, what we save and what we pave will undoubtedly, undoubtedly determine Florida's conservation future and the future of Florida as a whole. So this is it. This is the last great push for land conservation in Florida.
0: Christine Johnson with the Conservation Foundation of the Gulf Coast says the first thing lawmakers should do is restore funding to the Florida Forever Program. They used to spend $300 million per year on preserving Florida's land and water resources, but it's been 10 years since the legislature provided that sort of support.
2: We must ensure that our cherished lands and beautiful waters are protected now and for future generations. The best way to do that is to fully fund Florida Forever, as we voters overwhelmingly voted and decided five years ago. We don't have much time left to protect our special places before they're lost forever. There are now over two million acres of important water protection projects, beaches, springs, and other vital natural areas just waiting to be conserved. And the two million acres across the state waiting to be protected are vulnerable to unwise development practices and decisions and deep funding cuts.
0: Republicans who run the legislature have spent the past decade giving lip service to conservation instead of money, which is one of the reasons environmental groups worked to pass the conservation amendment in the first place, to force their hand. Will Aberger with the Trust for Public Land says legislative leaders should take a very close look at what people said five years ago when that amendment received almost 75 percent of the vote. And to those who say that water and land conservation and the environment is a partisan issue, in Florida. I'm also here to tell you it's not. To get to 75 percent, yes, we had to have Democratic, Independent, and Republican voters alike all voting on Amendment 1. And Amendment 1 passed in excess of 70 percent in some of Florida's reddest counties. If you look at Indian River County or Martin County or St. John's County, Those voters there supported that because they know how important water and land conservation is to the future of our state. Environmentalists have sued the legislature for failing to carry out the conservation amendment. They won at the circuit court, but lost on appeal. The case continues, but Aberger says they won this fight in the court of public opinion five years ago, and lawmakers should carry out the will of the voters. Voters in St. Petersburg head to the polls today to decide elections for the city council in what are supposed to be nonpartisan elections. But Florida politics reporter Janelle Taylor says some of these races are about as partisan as it gets.
2: Three of the four races have had um, definitely tones of partisan campaigning, whether it's direct or indirect through things like campaign contributions. Um, or endorsements, or just straight out, you know, sending campaign mail to voters. Um, The most blatant example has been in District 3. uh, That is between incumbent Ed Montaneri and his challenger, Orlando Acosta. Orlando Acosta is a Democrat, and Ed Montaneri is a Republican. It's important to note that St. Pete, City council races are nonpartisan, so candidates aren't allowed to directly say that they are a Republican or a Democrat, but they can certainly highlight things like progressive policies or support for other partisan figures. And in this case, that is President Donald Trump. So Orlando Acosta's campaign has been repeatedly sending out uh, campaign mail tying Ed Montaneri to the policies of Donald Trump. The message is very clear that, you know, don't vote for this guy because he's, you know, he's a Trumper. Um, And that worked in 2017. it's, It's kind of taken directly from the playbook of Mayor Rick Kreisman, who successfully used Donald Trump to weaponize his opponent in that mayoral race against former Mayor Rick Baker. So it was, it was something that had shown success before, so it doesn't seem like a, a, a terrible idea on its surface if you if you look at it from that viewpoint.
0: Taylor says the District 7 race for St. Pete City Council is also attracting attention because one of the candidates is an unabashed socialist using a slogan that actually borrows from Donald Trump.
2: District 7, uh, you have incumbent Lisa Wheeler Bowman against an Uhuru candidate, um, Aretha Akile Canyon, and she is... If you're unfamiliar with the Uhuru group, it's, they kind of operate under the umbrella of the African People's Socialist Party, um, and she is running on a platform of reparations. And what's interesting about her candidacy, and I think why she's failed to gain much, um, much traction in this race, as she's behind by more than 30 points in the polls, um, is that her campaign slogan is, Make America Black Again. So you have a candidate who's operating operating under a you know socialist umbrella who's using a campaign slogan that sounds like President donald trump's campaign slogan, so the two messages just don't jive together, so that's been I think, an interesting race as well, but it's I think anybody you ask would say that it's a no-brainer that uh, the incumbent in that race is, is going to probably prevail.
0: And then there's the District 5 race. Both candidates are Democrats, but reporter Taylor says it's still a partisan contest.
2: And then in District 5, it's even more interesting because both candidates in that race, Deborah Fig Sanders and Trinia Cox, they're both Democrats. So it's like, how do you... <laughs> how do you squeeze partisanship into a contest between two people in the same party? And the answer to that is simple. One of them has been painted as the de facto Republican candidate. Trinia Cox has been uh, bringing in contributions and collecting endorsements from people who are seen to be in the former Mayor Rick Baker sphere, who is a prominent Republican. So uh, her opponents, uh, her critics, have been painting her as the Republican candidate, even though she's technically a registered Democrat. Um, And St. Petersburg Mayor Rick Kreisman has even weighed in several times saying, hey, this is why you need to vote for Deborah Fick Sanders. So it's just been a really fascinating theme of partisanship.
0: We'll have the results of the St. Pete elections for you on tomorrow's episode of Sunrise. State Senator Lisbeth Benequisto of Fort Myers will not be running for Congress next year. A St. Pete polls survey released last week shows she's actually the leading candidate in the race to replace Congressman Francis Rooney, who has announced that he will not be running for re-election. But Benequisto has issued a statement saying, quote, Running for Congress in 2020 is not the right path for me and my family at this time. There are, however, plenty of other potential candidates, including state representatives Dane Eagle, Heather Fitzenhagen, Byron Donalds and Bob Rommel. Former state representative Gary Abishon, Lee County Commissioners Cecil Pendergast and Brian Hammond, South Florida Water Management District Chair Chauncey Goss and former Lee County Sheriff Mike Scott. Oh, and let's not forget radio host Drew Steele. Next on Sunrise, a conversation with A.G. Jankarski, a veteran reporter from Jacksonville who will be coming to Tallahassee to help chronicle the 2020 legislative session. But first, this homage to advertising that helps pay the bills.
1: A lot of people give their opinions on politics and not just the talking heads on cable news. Everyone has an opinion. Sometimes a gentleman's wager can be the best way to tell how much someone believes their own spin. That's why you should check out what Predict It is doing. Predict It is like the stock market, but for politics. Instead of buying and selling oil futures, you can buy and sell shares in everything from who the Democratic nominee will be to if the president will be impeached. It's easy and only costs a few bucks to get started. Sunrise listeners can get a special introductory offer by visiting predicted.org slash promo slash F-L-A-P-O-L.
0: Joining us now on Sunrise is Florida politics correspondent A.G. Gankarski, who hails from Jacksonville. What age? What brings you to Tallahassee on this fine day?
3: <laughs>
0: As if we didn't know.
3: Yeah, I'm, I'm handling a little bit more of the uh, the statewide coverage. I've been in Jacksonville market for five years. Um, I, I think we hit a statutory limit there. So, um, you know, Peter's imposing me on Tallahassee uh, going forward a little bit. is um, you know, sort of an intense coverage that we're going to be doing throughout session at least. So I'm looking forward to it. You know, 2020 session is going to be pivotal and very excited.
0: Well, and this should be fun having some fresh eyes, shall we say, on the process here, because those of us who've been doing it for a while are kind of jaded. Um, what What is it that you find most interesting about the Tallahassee beat?
3: Well, you know, Tallahassee beat, it, it's it's just a confluence of different interest vying. I mean, it's interest groups, obviously, it's regional. And, you know, if you go inside regional delegations, there's a turf wars too. Um, so it, it's always interesting to see how politics actually you know, works when the rubber hits the road. And I think with session coverage, especially given the fact that state newspapers have fewer and fewer resources to dedicate online sources like us, like Politico, I mean, you know, it's, it's incumbent on us to sort of fill that void. So I'm very excited about jumping into it.
0: It does kind of feel like being the shock troops they throw in there to stop, you know, when, when the invasion's coming in, it's like, hold the line, guys, hold the line.
3: Yeah. I mean, when, you know, we, we notice this, it's like we have to make coverage decisions all the time. And, you know, it's, it's like every bill is a story. I think Peter Schorsch always says that. And that's true. It's like every bill is a story. And it's like every committee meeting has some sort of drama to it. And, you know, it's just really exciting beyond that. Anything in particular you'll be focusing on?
0: Is there an area of expertise?
3: Well, you know, basically I've been looking at a lot of budget issues. Um been looking at a lot of regional bills, including the hemp program and, you know, things like that, the medical cannabis program and those expansions, um, that's going to be a focus. Um, children's issues, a lot of undercovered beats. I mean, that's, that's something that I think is going to be pivotal because, you know, prisons, children's issues, these things aren't getting covered as much as, as they should. And I'm looking forward to being able to focus on that too.
0: Yeah. Prisons, you could spend an entire career just on that here in Tallahassee.
3: Yes. And it's, it's a Great beat, and it's just something that I think we need to have a little bit more focus on because our our prison system, as state legislators know, real changes have to happen. All right.
0: Well, it's great to have you on the beat, AG. We're certainly looking forward to having you around the capitol on a regular basis, and uh, it's just nice to have a fresh face in the in the crowd.
3: I don't know how fresh it is, but thanks, Rick. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right. On the agenda today, the House Health and Human Services Committee gets a presentation about recreational marijuana from the Executive Director of the Oregon-Idaho High-Intensity Drug Trafficking Area. That starts at 10 in the House office building. The Senate Agriculture Committee receives an update about the impact of Hurricane Michael on the agriculture industry at 10 in the Senate office building. The hurricane caused massive damage to the timber industry in the panhandle. The Senate Commerce and Tourism Committee takes up a bill by Senator Ed Hooper to keep Visit Florida in operation. The panel meets at 10 in the Senate office building. Now, if lawmakers don't pass a bill to save Visit Florida, it expires next October. The Senate Health Policy Committee meets at 10 this morning to hear a presentation about new programs aimed at importing cheaper prescription drugs from Canada and other countries. That's at 10 in the Knott Building. Senator Linda Stewart and Representative Geraldine Thompson are holding a news conference at 11 on the fourth floor of the state capitol. They'll be talking about efforts to protect voting rights. Senator Javier Rodriguez and Representative Michael Grico of Miami will hold a news conference at noon on the fourth floor of the Capitol. He'll be talking about their legislation that would prohibit conversion therapy, which involves trying to change people's sexual orientations. Senator Dennis Baxley and Representative Clay Yarber are holding a news conference at one in the Capitol to discuss their legislation creating the Florida Guide to Healthy Marriages. The Florida Chamber of Commerce continues a two-day insurance summit. Today's speakers is expected to include State Insurance Commissioner David Altmaier. It starts at 830 in Miami. Now, here's a classic Florida fundraiser coming up today. House Speaker Jose Oliva and Speaker-designate Chris Sprouls are hosting an oysters and beer blast tonight to round up campaign cash for four state lawmakers. Tyler Seurat, Anthony Sabatini, Will Robinson, and Tommy Gregory. That starts at 5.30 at Clydes and Costellos, just down the street from the Capitol. And time once again for the latest installment of the never-ending tale of shame and stupidity known as Florida Man. A Florida man is accused of battery with a chihuahua. Police in St. Petersburg say 27-year-old Stefan Johnson threatened a family member when they got into a fight and then picked up a cage with the dog inside and hurled it at his cousin. Johnson was slapped with a misdemeanor battery charge after admitting his guilt to arresting officers, and the guy already has a fairly long rap sheet. He has more than a dozen previous convictions for minor offenses, including trespassing, theft, and fleeing from police. Johnson has been released from jail, but he's been ordered not to return to the home he shared with his cousin. The chihuahua was apparently okay. And a Florida man celebrates the python hunters working for the State Wildlife Commission hunting pythons in the Everglades. Governor Ron DeSantis announcing that the FWC's python action team reached a major milestone this month by removing 1,000 Burmese pythons from the wild. That is in addition to the more than 2,600 snakes removed by the python elimination program at the South Florida Water Management District. That's it for this episode of Sunrise. I'm Rick Flagg reporting from Tallahassee for Florida Politics. Back again tomorrow.